Welcome. You may be a member at Rochester Church of Christ, or you may follow us regularly online, or you may have been referred to this by a friend. Either way, we're glad you're here. This is Adam Hill, Minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I hope that this message will speak into your life with the good news about Jesus. Please stay standing for the reading of God's Word. Today I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. It says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Father in heaven, how we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises as we declare your mighty word. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to praise you, to glorify you, and to study your word together, Lord, not just so that we can understand it, but so that we can stand under it. God, not just so that we can read it, but it can read us. Speak, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So I decided to go with that reading today. Instead of the one that I had planned, which sounded like this. <laughs> the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magical arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. The word of the Lord. That one's a little less positive. Today's going to be a fun one. You may recall from last week that we are studying through the book of Revelation and we are in this series of three sevens. We're in this, these three sets of seven things. That we started last week looking at um, the three or the seven seals. And as every seal was opened, something else would be revealed. And, and then we get to the end of those and we find out that there's going to be another set of seven. And today we're going to listen to the seven trumpets. All right? And, and, and still to come are going to be seven bowls. Okay, but we got these three sets of seven. And when we opened the seals last week, we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse come running out, unleashing war and violence and famine and pestilence on the earth. They are death's emissaries. And then we heard the voices of the martyrs in heaven saying, how long? 
And God said, soon. Not yet, but soon. And then the sixth seal unleashed a cataclysm that undid creation as the judgment of God was brought to completion. And we ask, who can stand? And the answer was given, God's people can stand. Not only will they stand, they will sing, because the same one who brings about judgment is able to protect them, is able to keep them. They weren't harmed by any of this. And you may have thought to yourself, or you may be thinking right now, okay, hold on a minute, Pastor. You said sets of seven, and you only covered six seals. I was paying attention and listening. Where's the seventh one? I am so glad you asked. (laughs) Because we're going to start there today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it, or you can follow along on screen, but go ahead and open it to uh, Revelation chapter 8. And we're going to find out about the seventh seal. Because what you find out is that we go through each set of seven and it's, there's six things and then the seventh one happens and the seventh one is the opening of the next set of seven things. Okay, so here's how it works right here with the seals. It says in chapter 8 and verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Which... You talk about a a growing to the climax that you've got the four horsemen of the apocalypse storm out and then you hear the the martyrs say how long and, and then you see an army that can't be counted that carries out God's judgment and then you open the seventh seal and everything goes completely quiet. An eerie silence. In this case it's awe. As we've seen the glorious judgment of God. So for about half an hour there's silence. And then in verse 2 it says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And then another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. Notice the temple language. There's an altar. There's the censer which is the thing that holds the incense that would fill the temple fragrantly. He was given much incense to offer and with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it onto the earth and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. So here we are in heaven's temple and the prayers of the saints, it says, fill the whole of heaven. And as a result of the prayers of the saints, God takes action. As the censer is thrown to earth and judgment is unleashed, the prayers of the saints on earth combine with the prayers of the martyrs and God is called to action. Do you understand the significance of prayer? A passage like this has you, urges you to believe that your prayers make a difference. That heaven goes silent and then is filled with the prayers of those on earth and God takes action. 
Do you know that the suffering of God's people invites God's intervention? Now it's important for me to remind you that these these sets of seven, like I told you last week, it's not that there are 21 things. These seven, then these seven, then these seven. It's not that there's 21 items that we check off a list and then we get the final thing. Rather, what we have in these three sets of seven are we have um, three glimpses of the same thing taking place. That each seven represents God's judgment And we're getting to see it from three different views. As a matter of fact, what you're going to find out is that the the seals that we studied last week, that provided the view of this judgment from the view of the church. Okay, so we got to hear the 144,000 and then see the innumerable saints of God. Today, as we listen to the trumpets... They will show us God's judgment from the world's experience. Not through the eyes of the faithful, but through the eyes of those who don't know God. So we start in verse 7 and it says, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars. So the third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. Whoa. Just as the first set in the seals, the first four came together, the four horsemen. And then there were two more. So you see in the trumpets, the first four come together. And then there's going to be two more. Okay, so when these four happen, the first four trumpets, if you were paying attention and you may say, see, here's the thing about studying Revelation. Sometimes you say, oh, that's new. That thing right there that happened, that's new. Here's a rule in Revelation. A lot of times when you run into something that's new, it's actually really old. Because if you were listening carefully and you're familiar with the story of the Exodus, so much of what just happened in these trumpets is actually an echo of the plagues that, that, God, that God unleashed on Egypt. Okay, you may have noticed that there's hail that rains down, that the sea turned into blood, that there was darkness over the earth. The wrath of God is poured out on all that has opposed God and God's people. And the people of God who have found themselves affirmed in this text because God is sovereign and will act on their behalf. But all throughout the four of these, one third of everything is destroyed. The wrath of God is a fearsome thing to behold. These days, we don't talk a lot about God's wrath. 
And I, I know some people are like, that's right, get them, preacher. And I, don't, I worry a little bit about people who really love to talk about God's wrath. I don't love turn or burn mentality or wrath-based evangelism. As it seems to focus on avoiding bad news rather than receiving and believing good news. The text here, though, reminds us that there is a God of wrath who wars against God's enemy. Now, that enemy is the devil. And he wars against the devil so that what belongs to God can be rightly reclaimed by God and no longer deceived by the devil. You see, here's the deal. When we, when we talk about God's wrath, I need you to understand God is not simply a bigger, nicer version of you. Because sometimes in our minds, that's what happens. God's the best of us. No, God's better than that, I promise. And God is holier than that, I promise. God is more powerful than that, I promise. And so when God unleashes judgment and you see a third of everything that's living is wiped out, we, it should make you shudder. And it should tell you something very important. How many of you, when we read this, thought to yourselves, why one-third? Anyone in the why one-third camp? Immediate, you want to make people not understand something even more? Put fractions in it. <clears throat> This, this is not only scary, it's got math in it. This is the worst part. You, you hit moments like that and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. What's so special about one-third? Here, here's the point, and I'm going to make this really simple because I don't have as much time to, to explain everything, but here's the, here's the deal. Why one-third? One-third could have been all. I'm going to say it again because I want to make sure they got it. All right, Todd? One-third could have been all. Why one-third? Because this is ultimately a call to mercy given to those who don't know Jesus yet. Because God is a compassionate God. Merciful, patient, kind, slow to anger, wishing for none to perish, but God disciplines those he loves. God offers repentance to the unbeliever in the language that we often pay attention to the most. Pain. But still some resist. And so in chapter 9, we get the fifth seal, or the fifth trumpet blows. And this time, it's an invasion. The fifth trumpet, and I'm not going to read it to you, you can read it for yourself in chapter 9, says that boiling up from the darkness, from this place called the abyss, 
There is this invasion that rises up and their leader, it's led by a leader whose name is Destruction and Destroyer. And the descriptions of the invading hordes are vivid and detailed. And, but, but I ask you not to get lost in those details. The purpose is simple, to describe a demonic power and a suffering loosed upon humanity. And with their scorpion tails, this army pursues humanity until those who are being struck down long for death rather than having to continue to face God. They long for death, but the text says that God won't let them die. Why? Because God knows that there's a death worse than death. That even in the judgment of God, there is a mercy to be seen. Why one-third? One-third could have been all. And God would still be justified. God is urging people to repent. They're enduring pain, but he won't let them die because he wants them. In the second half of chapter 9, we get the sixth trumpet. And this time the invasion comes from angels. It says here that, that, that God sends four avenging angels unleashed and they kill a third of humanity. As I did the math on that, it would be the greatest death toll in history. If it were to happen today, that's more than 2.6 billion lives. And the army that, they're, that, that, that these angels are bringing is one that tyrants dream of. 200 million riders. Now, now, okay, that's today, but imagine you're a Roman in the first century hearing this, this vision, 200 million riders. That means that there are as many mounted cavalry in this army as there are people in the empire. Now, that's a terrifying army. That there is an invasion that you can't possibly withstand. Hooves thundering, noses snorting, and riders hell-bent on your destruction. Obviously, it's meant to be horrific and terrifying. But I want to remind you, one-third could have been all. God is not trying to completely destroy humanity. He's trying to call humanity back to himself. And so we reach at the end of chapter 9 that not-so-fun passage I read to you at the beginning. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They didn't stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can't see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. They won't repent. Shockingly, two-thirds of humanity who have survived all of this still don't repent. They don't turn to God who will forgive them and save them. They don't humble themselves and accept God's mercy. Why? Well, the text tells you 
because they're bound. Show that verse again if we can. They didn't repent of the work of their hands. They didn't stop worshiping demons and idols. They're bound by idols. Gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood. They are looking for purpose and meaning and fulfillment in the things that they can make or buy. And all of a sudden this text from this ancient world comes right up into my world and onto my step and knocks on my door. That these people refuse to accept the mercy of God because they are addicted to the things that they can make and buy. To the things that they think will fulfill them. And so it's to this, they're made in the image of God. But they are bowing down to these other images and giving them their attention. Do you remember? Their attention, their worship. They're giving them their attention because they think that those things will fulfill them. But they never have. And they never can because idols are powerless. They, what did it say? They can't walk. They can't speak. They can't see. They can't hear. So these blind, deaf, and lame idols end up making their worshipers the same as they are. Powerless. Blind, deaf, lame before the beauty of Christ. After this, we see two witnesses emerge. God calls two witnesses to go out among his people. And, 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 and at first in Revelation chapter 10, John is told by God to pay attention because there is this angel that comes forward and he's huge. And he opens his mouth and the thunders roar and the seven thunders sound. And John is overwhelmed and he says, okay, write it down on this little scroll. And so the seven thunders are put on a little scroll. And then he says to John, I want you to go. I want you to take the scroll and I want you to eat it. And so John ingests the, seven, the scroll of the seven thunders. He says, at first it's going to taste like honey on your tongue, but it's going to make your stomach sour. That's exactly what happens. But, and, and, and we don't ever get to find out what the thunders are. Other than we know that John is called to prophesy. And the next thing we see are these two witnesses that come out from God. God raises up these witnesses to talk to the rest of the people on earth. To declare truth and gospel to the rebellious world. Begging them to turn from their idols. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. That the beast comes up and kills these witnesses. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Those are not good comparisons. Where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate by sending each other gifts because the two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. I want you to pay attention to that last statement. They have a party when these two witnesses from God die. Why? 
I mean, gifts and everything party. Because the two people who were speaking the truth of God were tormenting them. It is possible for God's people to speak God's truth and God's gospel to a world that is so set against it that they confuse it for torment. And when they die, they they throw a party. They don't bury them. They throw a party because these are the folks that have been making our lives so miserable. Watch what happens in verse 11. After three and a half days, after a limited amount of time, the breath of life from God entered them. Breath is the same word for spirit in Greek. The breath of God, the spirit of God is breathed back into them. They stood on their feet. Resurrection. You see, when the world has done its worst, God still has the power to make life. God is the God of life. And they stand up and people take notice then. Terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies were looking on. And at that very hour there was a severe earthquake. And a tenth of the city collapsed. And 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified. Pay attention. And gave glory to the God of heaven. Finally, having beheld that life will triumph over death and seeing the power of God on display, finally, the people surrender to his glory. And then we see the final woe. We started with it. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The final woe seems calm to what has come before when you compare it. Understand the final trumpet In chapter 11 and verse 15, this is the end of the age of humanity. And the coming of the God, coming of the kingdom of God in full. And that seems like great news for those of us in the kingdom. But for those outside, it is crushing. Kenny, go ahead and bring your team up. Well, okay, preacher. Where's the gospel in that? The gospel is what I've been telling you all along. One third could have been all. That God is is providing an opportunity for repentance. You see, the mercy of God is greater than any human mercy. truth is that we want something else. 
That the mercy of God is greater than any human mercy, but for some reason we want something else because the truth is sometimes we want something else because we think it's going to be better, but those things only ever bring us more pain. What are you trusting right now to bring you meaning and value that is not God? What compulsions do we turn to to give us control when life gets hard? Brownies? Just me? Drugs? Alcohol? What compulsions do you turn to to give you control when life gets difficult? What do you own that actually owns you? Sometimes I think we believe, we wouldn't say it like this, but we believe and we act like we're too sophisticated for the worldview of the Bible. Are you willing to be spoken of poorly so that you may speak well of Christ? We avoid our inner life by numbing ourselves and distracting ourselves. And today this text calls us to repent. You see, it is no surprise to God that you need help. And the truth is that God was, is willing to go to great lengths to get you to realize it. How long will it take for us to be humbled and embrace God's healing? And that healing will hurt. It may even feel like torment. But it's life. My wife is a nurse and she comes home and I get to ask her how work is and a couple things work against that. One is there are certain laws she can't tell me a lot of what she does at work. And the second thing is that I get grossed out by what she does at work. <laughs> and so when she goes into a little detail about a procedure, I'm like, I'm good. Just give me a, like it was an okay or a bad day. Like that's all I need. But she was telling me about a patient who had to go in for surgery and when his surgery was done, he woke up and he said, I'm in so much pain. And, 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 and she said, yeah, you've had surgery. And he said, I thought when I woke up it wouldn't hurt. And she said, that comes later. You just had surgery and it hurts to have surgery. But you're going to be okay. The invitation to life, sometimes it may hurt. But it's going to be okay. We're going to be healed. You see, all of this, this judgment, these, these trumpets, all of that terrifying, scary, horrifying stuff doesn't have to be our story. All we have to do is come to a God who is good and who can be trusted who has loved us and chosen us.
and is doing everything possible to call us to his mercy. Let us come to him. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Shout your name. 
You may, you may be seated. At, the, at this time, we'd like to invite anyone who would like prayer for the Four Corners prayer. This is a time that we can uh, go over and pray about anything that we're um, struggling with, dealing with, anything that we want to pray about for family member, friend. Um, also, if you don't want to go over there, you can sing a song with us, and you can sit here in, in meditative reflection on the scripture, on what Adam just spoke on, or even just the words of this song. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome
Every week, every week we take this time to come together as a family, think about the, the bread and the cup and what it means, the resurrection of Christ. And, and every week in this family, we do something that until last week, I, I, didn't, I didn't really get, I, I liked it, but I didn't really get it. And it's our tapestry. It's what we do. Each week we hear from family members about why the cross is important, how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has affected their life, or what it means to them to live out the life of Christ. We may hear from a father and his three sons about Lego Jesus. We may hear from a young married couple about how the cross has lived out in their life. You may be prepared to do a communion talk and your wife leans over and goes, no, I'm feeling the spirit. There's something I need to say. And she gets up and she talks about why relationship in Christ is so important. And that is a that is a beautiful thing this family does. I remember growing up and it was, it was wonderful what, what we did. This do in remembrance of me and the men walked up and they walked, you know, and they, they read a scripture and, and that was wonderful. That was powerful. That was, that was awesome. But, but what we do is really about community. It's about relationship. And so as I was thinking about that this morning, and Adam, I had no idea you were going to choose that verse from Revelation because it, it's, it's awesome. Um, I was thinking about why, 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 what is the one thing that, that, that connotates the cross for me? And, and it's this verse, and it's probably the most famous verse. I'm going to read 2, 16 and 17, but it's probably the most famous verse, the first one. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray for the bud. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for your enduring love, for the way that you live out your love in our life every day. Thank you for his son who saves us from our sins. Thank you for the bread that represents his body, and thank you for the, 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 the juice that represents his blood, Lord. Help it to cleanse us. Help it to remind us your love and the awesome love of Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's pray for our offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to give, Father God, this opportunity to worship you with our giving, O Lord, with our tithe. We thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to bring coats for the children, 
for the families that need them. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to pull our change together. Thank you, Father God, just for the spirit of giving. Lord, we ask that our giving be acceptable in your sight, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, as, um, as Kenny mentioned, and as you're seeing happen, it's Pure Change Sunday. So if, uh, if we have anyone who wants to participate in that, I would encourage you to bring that up, especially during our last song. Let's just give it a little extra percussion. Yes. <laughs> right? And then we've got, uh, we've got our coats uh, that are there. And also I want to take a moment to remind you, October 2nd. So this, this week we have our harvest party. For our, uh, our fall harvest party, uh, that is Sunday, October 2nd from 5 to 8 p.m. And so uh, it, that, that right there. Now, if, yeah, if you have money to bring, then it is not a coin. You can put it in and say, clink. <laughs> we allow that. That is fine. If it's a check, you can clink. That's great. That is perfect. But we want to invite our families to participate in our fall harvest party at the Eblings. Uh, if you don't know where they live, it's, there's, it's online, it's in the reflections, it's everywhere. We can uh, get you there. But that right there is an awesome party, our, our, our harvest party. And that's families with children. Is it also families with youth? It is. So we have families with children and families with youth have our harvest party. It is a wonderful time. Last time there was a little bit of a tornado warning. It was fine. It all worked out. Um, I've never seen um, Owens Long's father run as fast as he was chasing down the, the tractor to say, there is a storm warning. Maybe we don't need to be on a hayride. And, and what I love is he ran past like every other parent. But they were like, they're fine. Uh, and so it was great. Uh, but it'll be awesome. Don't want to miss it. Be a part of our harvest party this year. I'll tell you what, before we sing this last song, I want to pray one more time. So if you will, stand with me and pray, and then we'll, we'll close with a song. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you love us, for your mercy, for your patience. God, I pray if there's, if there's anyone here who doesn't know your mercy and your grace yet, God, that you'll touch their heart, that you'll speak to them now, and you won't let this moment pass from them that they'll say, you know, before we're done here, I want to give my life to Christ. 
And God, if that's on their heart, I pray that while we sing this last song, God, that you'll bring them forward and that they can talk with me right up front. God, I pray that those of us who are are holding out, God, that you'll break through the walls in our lives. God, those of us who, who do know you, who have given ourselves to you but find ourselves drifting, God, I pray that you'll get our attention and bring us back. God, those that need prayer. God, those that need encouragement. God, those that have a praise on their lips. God, we just lift up to you. Thank you. God, may our worship not end when we leave this room. But may what has happened in this room prepare us to go out into the world sharing your praise and your proclaiming your good news to the world. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. And we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. We are not a perfect people, but we long to live in ways that help people see God and the kingdom more clearly. To learn more about our family of faith or to connect with us, visit www. Dot rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.